was about to immigrate to a new universe. At the same time I was observing the goings-on in the mirror, I came down with an irrepressible need to leave my old geography, a small town in upstate South Carolina where we'd lived for 22 years, and move to an unfamiliar landscape. I envisioned a place tucked away somewhere, quiet and untamed, near water, marsh grass, and tidal rhythms. In an act of boldness or recklessness or some perfect combination thereof, my husband Sandy and I put our house on the market and moved to Charleston, where we subsisted in a minuscule one-bedroom apartment while searching for this magical and necessary place. I never said out loud that I thought it was mandatory for my soul and my creative life. How could I explain that? But I assure you, I was thinking it. I felt like my writing had gone to seed. A strange fallowness had set in. I could not seem to write in the same way. I felt I'd come to some conclusion in my creative life, and now something new wanted to break through. I had crazy intimations about writing a novel, about which I knew more or less nothing. Frankly, the whole thing terrified me. After being crammed in the tiny apartment, for so long I began to think we'd lost our minds by tossing over our comfortable old life. I was driving alone one day when I took a wrong turn that led to a salt marsh. I stopped the car by a for-sale sign on an empty lot, climbed out, and gazed at an expanse of waving spartina grass with a tidal creek curling through it. It was low tide. The mudflats glinted with oyster shells, and egrets floated down to them like plumes of smoke. My heart tumbled wildly. I belong to this place. Perhaps living here, my creative life would crack open like one of those oyster shells, or sweep in like the tides, brimming and amniotic. In those days, the longing I felt to bring forth a new voice, some new substance in myself— almost knocked me down. I call Sandy. I'm standing on the spot where we need to live. To his everlasting credit, he did not say, Don't you think I need to see it first? Or, What do you mean you don't know the price? He heard the conviction and hunger in my words. After a pause, a fairly long one, he said, Well, okay, if we really need to. Later, I went to the store and bought a red leather journal. I carried it, blank and unchristened, to the lot beside the salt marsh where we now plan to build our house. Construction hadn't started, wouldn't start for a few months. I sat on a faded beach towel beneath a palmetto palm and began making a list of 100 things to do before I die. I started off with a 10K race, and riding a hot air balloon over Tuscany. I didn't like running, and really had no desire to travel by balloon. I turned the page. Finally, I began to write about becoming an older woman, and the trepidation it stirred, the small, telling betrayals of my body, the stalled, eerie stillness in my writing, accompanied by an ache for some unlived destiny, I wrote about the raw, unsettled feelings coursing through me, 
the need to divest and relocate, the urge to radically simplify and distill life into a new and unknown meaning. And why, I asked myself, had I begun to think for the first time about my own mortality? Some days, the thought of dying gouged into my heart to the point I filled up with tears at the sight of the small, ordinary things I would miss. Finally, I wrote a series of questions. Is there an odyssey the female soul longs to make at the approach of fifty? One that has been blurred and lost within a culture awesomely alienated from soul? If so, what sort of journey would that be? Where would it take me? The impulse to go to Greece emerged out of those questions. It seized me before I got back to the minuscule apartment. Greece. That would be the portal.